When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello everybody, I'm Danny Kelly. I'm your host of The View from the Lane, the Athletics award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast. On the show today, the like to say from The Athletic, Charlie Eckershare and James Moore. And so last week on the podcast, we described the games against Ennis Mura and Aston Villa, a bit more familiar, as must-win. And they won them both. So from the absolutely frantic uh, all-hands-on-deck battle stations of last week, which left James looking pale and drawn, I must say, looking much happier today, James, does that actually um, reflect the change in your mood since the North London derby? Yeah, I look, I look good, don't I? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, actually, you know what? Right, I, I really, really enjoyed the game. I, I, you know, I don't want to get too bogged down with Thursday night. You know, they played well against a team they should have beaten comfortably. Who cares? But on, on Sunday against Aston Villa, I was really impressed with the way Spurs played it. The, the first half hour was a bit, a bit, a bit stodgy, a bit, a bit hit and miss. It, it wasn't quite all coming off, and it, 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 I was a little bit concerned that maybe it was going to be another case of uh, Spurs really kind of struggling to to create anything. But from that point onwards. A lot of the last hour of the game, I thought Spurs were really good. And to be honest, Spurs created the better chances at 0-0, 1-0, 1-1 and 2-1. I don't think there was any stage of the game where, where Spurs were kind of under the cost, really. And, 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 you know, against a decent side who had just beaten Manchester United away the weekend before, I think you've got to take that as a really good sign. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want us to become one of those podcasts, and I'm sure you wouldn't allow it, that literally bounces um, from absolute despair to utter elation. Oh, it's um, too late. Too yeah, late like so, like like somebody who who, who keeps uh, taking too much sugar in their tea um, without realizing the effect. But uh, it's okay to smile for us, we're Spurs fans. Charlie, but from from a more um, neutral point of view, if you like, it was arguably their best performance, if not their best result. Manchester City was a better result, you'd argue. So I'll be the best at times. It's the best performance of the season against Aston Villa, I thought. Yeah, probably at a similar level to that City one, which I, which I think we you know we shouldn't forget was as well as being a really good result was also a really good performance. You know, it, they had chances, other chances that day as well. Um, yeah, yesterday looked a lot better. It looked a lot more balanced. Um, that central midfield area has been a real issue uh, throughout the season. From the well, what we thought was an idea against Crystal Palace with the three holders to then. Probably even more of an idea against Arsenal, where they just with no holders. They just what? Yeah, exactly. The other extreme, where they just wasn't really a midfield. That area of the pitch was was vacated. Whereas yesterday, uh, it looked like the best balance we've had so far. With um, when you had what Skip and Hoybier, uh in together, yeah. and then which meant you know freed up and Dombele to get forward a bit more, and you know without it being quite so catastrophic. So that was good. Yeah, and, and I thought the fullbacks, it was the best we've seen from a pair of Spurs fullbacks uh, all season, really. You know, you had yeah. Regulon, who I know, Danny, you and I maybe don't 
see eye to eye on. I think I'm a bit more positive around him. I thought he was good. Uh, well, let's be let's be straight about it, Charlie. I, I I like the fact that he's young. I like the fact that he's got tremendous legs and engine. He's a very fast runner. And this is, and some of this is coaching, isn't it? He's still young enough that you can coach something into him. I want to see him his defensive position um, being a bit better when he's when he's when he is defending and. He needs to be a little bit more level-headed. I mean, there was another moment in the game late on, wasn't there, where a little bit more care with his cross might have produced a, a you know a, a comfort zone for Spurs of a third goal. But I'm not against him. I have to say that I'm not against him. One of my absolute heroes, and Danny Rose, um, when he first got in the Spurs team, I was literally screaming at him because I only played full back on Hackney Marshes. But you cannot stand outside the wide player near the touchline. You've got to be inside of him. It seemed to escape Danny in his 18, 19 years of life and probably 10 years of being coached. Um, but he, he picked it up and became a better defender. Reggion has the advantage that learning to defend is easier than learning to attack. And he can be coached into all of that. But yes, he, I thought he and Emerson in particular had very good games. Actually, I think it's quite interesting the parallels with Rose and Walker and these two in that it's similar in that they are, it looks like from what we've seen so far, particularly of Royale, obviously, because he's new to the club, they're both more comfortable and stronger going forward than they are defensively. But as you say, Danny, if they can be coached into like, uh, I mean, especially doing the thing that Walker used to do well, which was know how much of a risk he could take, uh, knowing how much air speed he had to get back so he could kind of do the measurements in his head and work out how much, how far up the pitch he could go. Reggion has the same speed or a similar speed. He can do it. But he needs to work out how to do the thing that Walker did really, really well. And it's a thing that I don't think he ever got enough credit for. And he still does it now, not to quite the same extent. He knew how much of a risk he could take because he knew how... Uh, he, he could kind of could tell the difference, the distance between him and the opposition player and he could work out how far he'd be able to... Uh, how, how much slack he'd be able to give him before he could catch up with him. And that's what Reggion, yeah, that's what Reggion needs to learn to do. Yeah, as well. Kyle has become a really, really brilliant defender, hasn't he? And he, nobody yeah. when I when he first came and uh, you just you just would not have seen that coming. So uh, sorry, we've gone on a, a tributary about Spurs fullbacks in their history. That's okay. That's what podcasts are for. Charlie, you were talking about the the shape of the Spurs team and the, you know four two three one rather than four three three had all kinds of benefits. I thought. Now look. Getting Skip and Hoiberg together in the middle of midfield, relying on a boy who was playing in the championship last year, may be a sign of decline. I don't know. But at least it forced Harry Kane to play further up the pitch. Now, whether he's been instructed to or whether the structure of the team forced him to, I thought he was better off up there. Yeah, he was. And also, just finishing off the fullback point, I do think it helps when you've got Skip and Hoiberg, especially Skip, who can cover some of those spaces to that point of knowing how much you can push on and when you need to hang back. And that's especially important for Regulon, given he does like to bump forward. But yeah, I mean, Kane, that, this was his most encouraging league performance of the season, I think you'd have to say, wouldn't you? I mean, he... He, he carried much more of a threat than he has done in the other games. I thought it was a matter of time before he was going to score. And, you know, it's the, sort of, yeah. it's the sort of game that makes you just think, well, of course he'll score sooner or later because, you know, he looked sharp. That one where he swept it um, to the near post completely caught Martinez out from the edge of the box and it just went wide. There was one where he goes through late on. So I, I think he, he, even though he didn't score, there was a lot to reassure fans if they were starting to worry that he you know that he's gone a few games without scoring well he was the focal point wasn't he which he hasn't you know even last season really mm. he wasn't he wasn't much of an outball I mean higher up the pitch so deep, deep in deeper positions he was but that did allow Spurs to move the ball at a pitch a bit quicker didn't it I, I thought I felt that was one of the big differences between this game and some of the, the games we've seen earlier in the season 
what I want to talk about was the 11. We talk about the, the, the setup of 4-2-3-1. It is arguable, I would say, that is Spurs' best starting 11 at the present moment, which means, and I think there's an issue about the Celso and and, uh, and Dombele, but that, that, that we'll come on to that later maybe. Deli Alley, who every manager has come in, in the last few years has tried to get a tune out of, has done initially, you could argue, and then it's faded away again. He looks to me to have dropped James. Well, he's going to be on the bench for a long time now, isn't he? Well, well I'd say so as well, certainly a basis of that performance. But then it's hard to see if he does, like, you know, if a game is like yesterday, it's a, it's a tight game and the manager wants to make a substitution to, to freshen things up or, you know, to, to kill a game off or whatever. Where is he going to put Dele Alli on in that system? This isn't a role where you put him on because you're not going to put him on for Skipper Hoiberg for the reasons we kind of outlined after the Arsenal game. It was a complete disaster to have him as, as one of the deeper midfield players. If you wanted to replace Indombele and Lo Celso, it's more likely to come on than Ali. I mean, the only thing, yeah, I, exactly. think, only thing I think of is that Tottenham's complete disregard for buying, not a replacement for Kane, but a partner for Kane in the last end transfer windows. You'd have to change this and go two up top and play Delhi off Kane, which has worked in the past. Yeah. When, when, you know, when the earth was young, it was a long time ago. I mean, that's probably his best position, isn't it? As like a sort of shadow striker. But uh, again, you're kind of talking about changing the system to accommodate a player who we're not sure whether or not he's in the strongest 11. So, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, I, I don't imagine he was too happy sat watching that. He must have been a little bit worried because, you know, having started the season and done okay in the first three or four games uh clearly his level of performance dropped in as as the teams did in the last three games yeah i i would definitely be worried about his chances of getting back in but you know there's always going to be these european games for him to show what he can do but uh he, he uh, you know we've talked about it for about a year now probably probably even longer actually haven't we charlie that he, he needs to reinvent himself in a different position and i don't think it's going to be number eight you know as well as he did and he was fine functional uh, certainly in the first couple of games i just think he's, he's just he needs to become a center forward doesn't he uh, it, wherever that is, even if it's not at Tottenham, I just think that's the only way he's going to be able to kind of eke out a career for himself now. Or I think as an inside forward and whether in certain games, again, you know, you're probably thinking in some of the bigger games, if if he thinks maybe does he drop Mora and bring Deli in. I just I'm don't not know. Saying... He, has he got the direct running to do that? I'm not sure that he's, he doesn't run at people. I mean, he's got very good feet, but he doesn't run at people, does he? It, no, but it depends if you want to play him there and rely on your fullback to provide that kind of threat. So if you Maybe. said we're going to put Delhi over on on Regulon's side, say at, in a bigger game, and and say that you know Delhi can do more of the shuttling across and cover for Regulon, uh, he can come inside and offer more of a threat that way and let Regulon do the dribbling. I'm not saying I think that's uh, that should be Nuno's first choice, but given there'll be some games where Nuno probably does want to be a bit more solid. Maybe that's an option. But yeah, I mean, there had to be consequences from that North London derby sure. because that midfield, that was so diabolical that, you know, I think it'll be a long time before we see Hoybier and Dombele and Delhi yeah. as a midfield three. I mean, look, we, we were hammering Hoiberg for the way he flew forward at you forward were. In the Arsenal game. Well, okay, I was, fine. <laughs> yeah. um, but you saw the difference when he had Skip alongside him and just gave him the freedom to do that. And obviously the first goal is created by him winning the ball pretty much on the halfway line. Driving forward, the exchange with Son. It's so funny, James. Last week you were talking about how you'd been talked out of love with with uh, with, with Hoiberg, and I just no, no, just think 
No, no, God, I'm fickle. I don't, I don't deny it. No, it's no, no, no. I'm is. not asking you to, to be to, to be consistent. Good God, how would you work? How would you forge <laughs> a career in journalism? Um, but the uh, Garth Crooks was saying how suddenly in the last couple of weeks he's fallen in love with Hoiberg in a piece he was writing in a, in a, in a much less or I mean, august organ than the Athletic, obviously. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 we're all. This game is driving us all mad, isn't it? I mean, not this match, but the actual game of football drives people mad. I think those last two performances probably sum up what Hoiberg can be. So in the wrong system, he can be what he, what he was last week and in the right system, he can be what he was against Aston Villa. Well, I still don't quite blame the players. They could have taken more responsibility for what went on at Arsenal. Oh, if yeah, they, absolutely. If they were all told to bomb forward, they all bombed forward, exposing a not great back four to, to Arsenal's young runners. I still blame the manager for that and uh, we'll get on to him in just a second. It's interesting that for a player who is, a, or throughout his career has been seen as a pretty consistent performer, that he's uh, had such a volatile, certainly the perception of him has been very volatile at the start of the season, Hoybier. I think he's still a really important player for Tottenham and probably remains the first choice central midfielder. You know, you think it kind of, the balance, he's in the middle, sort of fairly central and neither not particularly up nor down and then it's about getting the balance around him. For those of you listening to this podcast, Charlie is now setting these players out with salt cellars on a cafe table. I'm putting them on on scales that are sort of like (laughs) move. That was sort of what I was trying to do, moving slightly up and down. Uh, I think think he, uh, he, he does remain really important to that. And and he and he played very well yesterday and showed that he can't like he showed for Denmark at the Euros. He um with someone alongside him, he, he can be a nuisance going forward as well. It's a really well taken goal. And he and he has scored a few good decent goals. You know, there was that one against Liverpool obviously last season that was outstanding and he got that poachers one against Wolves. So he's he's scored a couple more than he should have done. I mean he's He's scored maybe a couple more than you would have thought, whereas most of their midfielders have scored far less, given that, as we've spoken about before, Spurs midfielders just don't really score goals. That's why I'm always a bit concerned about people play 4-3-3, unless the two, the two wide players in the 4-3-3, ally Liverpool, are regular goal scorers. You're asking an awful lot of your front striker in that system. Because what you're really saying, you, you pretend to play three forwards, you're actually playing five midfielders, and some of them have got to get double figures of goals, otherwise it's not going to work. Speaking of which, our colleague Jack Pitbrook was uh, saying that he thinks that on the former that he showed at the weekend that Son is now arguably the best counter-attacking player in the league. When he has these days and when he has a run of games, because he, he can be a bit binary, can't he, uh, Son? When he comes out of form, he's completely out of form. When he's in form, he's just astonishing. And I thought everything he did at the weekend went right for him. He was tremendous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he took that game by the scruff of the neck at the exact moment where Spurs really needed that because there was definitely a sense in, in the stadium. You know, Aston Villa had just equalised. Spurs have conceded three goals in each of the last three games and suddenly it felt like the balance was about to about to swing in that game. But, you know, Son took it upon himself to to just drive forward with the ball. And to be honest, I think it, it was it Conta he was up against. Yeah. I mean, it looked like he had himself quite well positioned actually to, to deal with him and then Son's just like had that extra burst of extra burst of pace to go around the outside of him and get the cross in and has that actually gone down as an own goal in the end? Yeah. I think it has, yes. Matt target, yeah. yeah. But look, without him, you do wonder what would have happened in that game because it, you know, if that had gone on another sort of five minutes and, and Villa had built up a head of steam and, and you know Spurs' heads had dropped, then it could definitely have gone the other way. Incidentally, the life is made up with tiny, tiny sand grains of detail, isn't it? Another game goes by without a Spurs wide player scoring a goal and Mora would have scored if, if Target hadn't touched the blinking thing. Uh, well, it could hardly have blazed it over from four inches. Well, and it keeps, as I said last week, of those players outside the Kane-Son Bale, it keeps own goal 
uh, either joint yeah. top or top top of the uh, oh, scores chart. Yeah. Yeah. He keeps he just keeps popping up with important moments. But no, Sonna. Imagine if I, imagine if Angola was allowed to take penalties. Well, yeah, exactly. Those are all non-penalty goals. Own goals, expected goals were around top notch. Soaring, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. They're soaring up. But um, yeah, Son's just an elite player. I mean, we've known that for a while. But when he does things like that. That is just having a cheat player who can get it in an area that doesn't seem, you know, as, as James says, the defender does everything right. He does what he, you would want a defender to do, but Son's just too good, too quick for him. And there, there was that moment in the first half as well where he lost his man around halfway with just a drop of the shoulder. Yeah, that was so good. That was just class. incredible the way he yeah. can do that. And and I think as well, we've maybe, where, perhaps where Spurs have been most unlucky with, you know, there have been a series of, misfortunes post-international break was the injury Son picked up because it meant he missed the Palace game against Chelsea he didn't look fit Arsenal he was probably the only player to come out with any real credit but he was fully back at it yesterday and you see the results and you do wonder if he'd been at that level for the previous three games maybe they would have been slightly different but just yeah a big big relief and and the thing is there's there's so little I think between all the teams outside the big four uh, the top four anyway you know who we think will finish in the top four and then there are probably five or six teams will be batting for relegation and then I do think teams like Villa and you could say Spurs are in this big block where there's not a lot between them but having two world-class players in Kane and Son will mean they win a lot of games like this against teams of a similar level and we saw that loads last season they won these sorts of games because one or both of Kane or Son would step up I want to talk if I may and I'll lead this off and you can you can tell me I'm wrong Christian Romero that was his best game for Spurs. That's not saying much so far. I thought it was great fun, actually, but it, it, it was very, and I hate to use this word, because it's always used in a pejorative way. I'm going to use it positively. He's very Spursy, isn't he? I mean, he really did some fantastic things. Crossfield passes, interceptions where you think, why is he running like that towards the ball? But he has so much confidence in his own speed over the first five yards that he's going to get it. Um, I enjoyed all of that. And of course, it contributed hugely to Aston Villa's equaliser because he went for a ball that no human being on earth, maybe Virgil van Dijk, could have got to and ended up on his backside. But I, I liked it because I think he's a contributor to the 3-2 win rather than the 1-0 win. I mean, Romero, when I did the piece on him when they signed, one of the things that people I spoke to in Italy, that what they all talked about was his disciplinary record. And it is, I mean, it is incredible. He got sent off in his second game for Genoa and across three seasons in Italy, got 39 yellows and three reds in 102 games. I mean, they, these are ridiculous numbers. And he was he was subbed off on a number of occasions, once on a booking for fear of getting a second. And you watch things like that tackle and you sort of understand why. The one in the lead up to the Villa goal, for which he did get a sort of a, a booking after, after the goal had gone in. Um, but he has to be starting. I mean... I think everyone was a bit baffled that he wasn't starting in the North London derby, but they've spent, or they are going to spend this big fee on him. He comes with a big reputation. He's an outstanding defender. I think, you know, just get him going as soon as they can. And yeah, he. I thought they looked a lot better with him. And as you say, Danny, he is that front foot. He is quite uh, exciting as defenders go because he does take yeah. risks. And um, He's aggressive in every sense, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. That, that challenge was aggressive, not just for the way he went through, sorry, whichever player it was. It was aggressive too, wasn't uh, it? To uh, yeah, it exactly. Yeah. To go out on the front foot and to try and win the ball and then try and put set, send Spurs off on that counter attack. That will be a problem, I think, if he's playing with Dyer, who isn't especially quick. I think a slightly more nimble 
partner perhaps would have got across Watkins uh, and stopped that goal going in, maybe. And he was playing in a three last season, in the middle of a three. And yeah. so there's probably more scope to do that. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops. and I hope he gets a run in the team. And I take your, absolutely take your point about red and yellow cards. But the king of the red and yellow cards, Sergio Ramos, is regarded as the greatest defender of his generation. So there's often a balance, isn't there, between the kind of madcap antics that Ramos gets up to and his effect on overall a uh, series of football matches. Where are we with Nuno? Last week, obviously, the the, the Nuno Omoto was bouncing in the red, wasn't it? Um, has the needle come back at all? Does it? Does this establish any more credibility, or or was the damage at Arsenal so desperate that it'll take a lot more than that for people to start trusting him again? I've got to be honest. Like that, that that really did impress me the way they approached that game. Like, and I know you're talking about mm-hmm. like the sort of pragmatism and uh, and the way he sets out as being quite defensive. And the guy behind me at the game was moaning about how they conceded the goal because they sat back, which is uh, uh, for the reasons we've just discussed, utter bollocks. Yeah, of course, I just don't, yeah. I just don't think they like sat back in that game. I, I, no. I think they were, they continued to try and play, uh, they continued to try and play throughout. If they had sat back against a team as good as Aston Villa, they would have got beat. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's, you know, it was encouraging in terms of the result and in terms of the performance and in terms of the approach. I think it probably did move the dial slightly back in in his favour, in my eyes at least. If they approach the... It's Newcastle, I think, after, after the international break. If they approach that game in the right way and get another good result, maybe when you go West Ham away, you have to be slightly more pragmatic, perhaps. I'm not sure Brentford were. They got a decent result at the weekend. That's though. true. And I, was, I suppose we'll have the benefit of going there after a European midweek right now as well, which seems to have been... West Ham's undoing in the last in the last two games, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we, look, we simply didn't want to get carried away when they were doing badly after three games, so we certainly won't get carried away when they've done well in one game. Yeah, but it, it, I, I, it has moved the dial slightly for me. My only thing with this though is that it feels so fragile at the moment. I think yesterday was a, a good performance and a good win, but if they go and say don't get a result against Newcastle, I don't think fans will think, oh, but you know, fair play, we we played well against Villa. Um, I just don't think there's enough goodwill. Yeah, it's, it, it, it builds it up ever so slightly, but I think what will more happen if they don't get a good result against Newcastle will be, see, we were crap in the North London derby and we're crap again today, and I think this will get quickly forgotten about. So I, I feel like it's a start, It's it's ov- and, and it's, it, it's a huge win in the sense that had they lost it, then I think there would have been genuine speculation that he could have lost his job over this international break. But I, I don't know, I just feel that with the whole two-year contract, with... Everything that went into his uh, appointment and the drawn-out nature of it, the fact that we know he um, he was far from first choice, it just feel it still feels very fragile. And it's it's a hard league. That's the thing. Like, just there are a lot of teams. Like I said, outside top four and outside the bottom six or bottom six as we imagine it will end up being. Who there's just a lot of quality there, and you need to be really good, and you need to have a really really elite um, head coach. I think to push you away from that. All right, well, I think we should end this section with a little smile on our face because uh, you can't have it both ways. When they get whacked at Arsenal, we were properly miserable. Then you can't come back after a decent win at home against a good team and then not be happy about it. So thank you very much indeed for that. Just one thing, Danny, I just wanted to say, I was thinking about this, that actually, you know, you look at it for all the volatility of this season already after seven games, Spurs are probably a, a point off what, we would have thought was par at the start of it. So it really, it hasn't, in results terms, it hasn't actually been that bad. They're two points off third as well. Four points off top, two points off top four. Okay, I was asking for optimism. We've gone through the roof. <laughs> Very good. 
The party's on. Thank you very much indeed. When we come back, um, we'll talk about Spurs' denial of a story that I happen to believe in The Athletic about Nuno's contract. Well, that was a very long first section of the podcast. So let me just remind you, you're listening to The View from the Lane with me, Danny Kelly, and from The Athletic itself, James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. One day, I will consider myself part of The Athletic as well. But at the moment, I'm an interloper here, sucking on the goodness of The Athletic's knowledge about sport. Now, and which brings us to a story, uh, David Ornstein, who, in his column in, in The Athletic, he said that Spurs are able to move on from Nuno without paying compensation at the end of this season if they finish outside the top six. We should say at this point that Spurs have denied this story and described it as untrue. But uh, Ornstein usually has these things pretty much in order. So, Charlie, what do you make of that story? I was on holiday last week, blissfully... Uh, well, apart from listening to this fine podcast, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know um, the ins and outs of this, but if, you know, depending on the the details of this, it it, it plays into this idea that Nuno, the fact that he was giving a, given a two-year deal, that the balance of power there very much lay with Daniel Levy and with the club. You know, sometimes you appoint a new manager or you make a new signing and you think, God, the club have done well there. How have they managed to convince someone to come? Here it feels a little bit the other way around and this plays into that doesn't it and that makes sense because Nuno was coming from Wolves who I don't think anyone would suggest are as big a club as Tottenham you know Spurs have been a Champions League regular whereas Wolves have only had a few seasons in the Premier League and in Nuno's last season mitigating circumstances etc etc they finished 13th Um, so to then move to a club that has aspirations of playing in the Champions League that was in the Champions League final only two years ago it makes sense that that's a big step up for him and Spurs kind of meeting him in the middle. And we'll see. You know, it's up to him to, to prove to prove that wrong, I guess. I mean, I, I'm going to try and put that into layman's terms. And again, forgive me if I've got this wrong. I mean, it sounds to me, Charlie, like you're saying Spurs almost knew that they were making the point that it was a gamble and were mitigating against the possibility of failure very early in the piece. But that's the two-year deal. I, th- I think it's it's very yeah. hard. How can anyone with a straight face say that we absolutely back this guy and we think that he is the future of this club if you give him a two-year deal? Those things just don't, sure. just don't make sense. Does it increase the chances, knowing that they can get rid of him cheaply at the end of the season if things don't go well? Does that actually improve his chances of staying on for the rest of the season, where clearly it would be more expensive to get rid of the fella in the middle of the season. I don't imagine the amount of money we'd be talking about for him to be sacked in the middle of the season is going to be too astronomical if it's only up to... It, well, even if it's only up to the summer of 2023. I, I don't suspect his wages are of a Mourinho level. So I, I think if times were so bad that they were considering making that decision, I, I don't imagine that, that would be a consideration, no. The Aston Villa result, and hopefully one or two, if you know they do well at Newcastle and West Ham, this immediate threat will disappear. As I said, I, I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns from last week. I don't think it's going to work out. And what I don't want to see is the fans having to kneel on the chest of, of the owner to, to, to get this fellow removed. But the immediate pressure is gone, isn't it? Because that was a decent performance against Hasselbein. You have to be honest about that, regardless of what you think about the project so far. It's interesting the cutoff line is the top six. Here we are, seven games in, very early on, uh, James. Do you think Spurs will, can finish? Will finish the top? Will, I think, is a better question. Will finish the top six? Can, definitely, yes. Will. 
I'm genuinely a lot more optimistic now than I was like sort of 48 hours ago. I'd say that's kind of like a toss of a coin. I mean, they're pretty much on that level, aren't they? It's going to be like, we talked about that top four. We know who they are. I'd be amazed if anyone else gets into that group. Leicester at the moment don't look like they're going to be in the conversation. I mean, maybe I'm doing them a disservice, but they've not had a great start to the season and I'm not entirely convinced that that's going to miraculously fix itself because I think they've got problems at the back. And I know Vardy scored a goal yesterday, but his levels of performance haven't been quite as good as they were a couple of years ago. So maybe they're not going to be as uh, vocal in that conversation. And then who have you got? West, West Ham? Mm-hmm. Arsenal? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, despite what Arsenal did to Spurs the other week, I wouldn't necessarily be confident that they would definitely finish above Spurs. And what- they were they were fortunate to get a point at Brighton. Let's be truthful about it. Well, yeah, exactly. Brighton, maybe in that conversation. I suspect, as is often the case, they will kind of fall away gracefully over the course of the season. Brentford as well, of course. There's a real sort of Hull 2008-2009 hmm. vibe about Brentford. So, you know, it feels like that. I'm not suggesting they'll get relegated next season, but I think they'll probably fall away too. But when you think about it like that, unless we're missing someone really obvious, I know Everton have had a couple of good results, but I, I, I would be very surprised if they stayed a distance. Uh, it's not. Look, I mean, I've talked myself into it now, and I think I've talked you into it as well, haven't I? Well, I, 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 I don't agree with everything that you said there. I'm not. I'm not convinced that, that uh, Brentford will fall away because they're such an incredibly interestingly run club, but also they have the thing that so many teams come out of the championship without, and I think they've got a guaranteed goal scorer. Now, I could be proven wrong, but to me, Ivan Tony, that thing of not being able to find a striker, they've got. They had one when they came up who should have been playing. It could have been playing in the Premier League last year, you know. Um, so we'll see where where it goes. Charlie, do you do you want to push Spurs towards the top six again? I think they, de- like I say, outside that top four and then bottom six or a bit more. There's just there's such a morass of teams. I think that are very very similar in level. But Spurs have those two world class players, and a lot of those teams don't um, have even one, let alone two. So I think it's hard to say. I, I think I probably would say yes if I had to bet either way. I'd say yeah, they will be in the top six. But I also, and I know Danny, we've spoken about this as well. I do think, given the margins, I think are going to be pretty small, and time on the training grounds are important. That's one of the reasons I would rather not be in the Europa Conference League than be in it. Yeah, because I just think you're going to have a lot of games tough games Villa away matches like that where they're going to get this West, this West Ham game this West Ham game is a prime example isn't it right West Ham in the last two Sunday games after playing in Europe have conceded in the 90th minute yeah. to Manchester United and Brentford right I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say and, and from speaking to people that were at both of those games they seem to think that West Ham were a bit leggy and didn't play quite as well as they normally would do because they played full strength on the Thursday night so Spurs are playing West Ham away immediately after West Ham's next European game now Maybe Moyes will twig that this has been an issue when rest players for their European game, in, in which case maybe it's not as big a factor. But if he does play a full-strength team, uh, why would Spurs, Spurs would just play the kids against uh, against Vitesse in, uh, two weeks on Thursday and just like <laughs> just go to West Ham with like a fully fit, uh, focused, no knocks, and go into that game and see if they can get three points. Well, that's the kind of game that will make all the difference. If you're talking about qualification for the Europa League and finishing in the top six, you know, forget the Champions League for a minute. That game is massive, right? The problem, the problem is, of course, as soon as he puts out anything other than the first team, did somebody use the phrase shat the bed about his substitutions? Oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I enjoyed that. They would have won that game, by the way, without that. I know, like, uh, Mora would come back into the game, but it was a worldie they scored. That wasn't going to happen again. They'd offered absolutely nothing other than that. Yeah. And Spurs definitely would have won the game. And it would. I know it was good, and you tweeted this time. Yeah. It's good to see Kane score a hat-trick and to have a little bit of a smile on his face. And obviously, he did play better on Sunday. But in the longer term, I think it would have been better if Scarlett had 
I, I would have preferred it if Scarlett had stayed on and scored a goal and Spurs had won. Totally, that, that, but that was just that a piece, piece of, of self-analysis that I was surprised with the result. It turns out there are some times when I don't care what happens to Spurs and I don't care who they're playing. I don't care how they're playing as long as Harry Kane keeps on scoring hmm. tons of goals. I've become a Harry Kane supporter, which I have to be careful with because, as we all know, falling in love with individual footballers these days is a mug's mugs game when we come back we'll get towards the end of the podcast but we must talk about the upcoming international break which turned out last time to be a nightmare for spurs hopefully the authorities have made it slightly less of a desperate prospect that's next The business of these international breaks coming so early in the in the European season always bothers me. But in the post, I say say post pandemic in the in the pandemic world, it's turned out to be even more. Um, Our colleague Jack invented the uh, where were they where were they hold up the three of them. Dubrovnik, the Dubrovnik the three. Dubrovnik but I'm not three. sure, do we actually know they were in Dubrovnik? But it, I mean, it works I as a... Uh, <laughs> oh, it sounds good. It sounds, it sounds good. good oh, you've let, the air, you've, you've let the air out of his tyres there. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> the Dubrovnik three, um, from what I gather, you people would be better informed than me. Less chaos this time round? Yeah, that's the theory that the rules around quarantining will be slightly different. And hopefully we won't have the same situation we did last uh, last time, certainly with like the number of games they're going to have to miss. There's still all sorts of issues, I think, with players going off to these countries. We saw that last year, you know, issues around travel and that sort of thing. And the situation is so volatile, it can change. So I still think in an ideal world, you don't have players going to red list countries, but it is slightly different from from last time. By the way, even forgetting all the COVID stuff, if you can, like Argentina and I think Colombia's third game of the break is on the effectively the Friday morning hour time when they're playing the game at Newcastle on the Sunday so there's no chance I imagine no chance Romero or Lo Celso or Sanchez play against Newcastle anyway, if right? they play that last game yeah unless you can reach some sort of a compromise where I mean that didn't to. seem especially likely <laughs> and, last yeah, time around, did it? the, so the Argentina manager not particularly up for that do I understand it rightly that when they come back albeit let's say they've played we all have a number of games. When they come back, they don't now have to go to Dubrovnik. They're going to go back to England and straight to the training ground, where they're going to stay in the no doubt luxuriously appointed hotel there on the you know in the in the in the lodge itself. And they have to kind of stay there, and their family can come and wave from behind a barbed wire fence. Is, is that right? Pretty much. I mean, they can do more or less what Kane did. If you remember when Kane came back from his travels in the summer. He, he could quarantine at the lodge so he could still sort of work on his fitness. I think where the bone of contention is, and this may still have to be confirmed, is whether they need to do five days or ten days at the lodge in that quarantining. And that obviously will have a big bearing because that could be the difference between missing one game or missing two games. Well, listen, let's hope, first of all, that everyone stays safe during the international break and uh, we avoid the injuries that sometimes uh, curtail people's efforts in these seasons. Again, I want to end on a slightly, having been so negative last week, a slightly positive note. Well done uh, for the two wins, even if they had to bring on the first team to win a game that James is convinced they would have won anyway. And we'll look forward to, on Thursday, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some other things to do with Tottenham Hotspur. Thank you for joining us on The View from the Lane. Continue uh, to download and enjoy the podcast. Tell your friends as well. And of course, if you're not already a subscriber, you can read 
all of our Spurs content by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Right now you can sign up with a 33% discount on a full subscription. We'll be back on Thursday. Thanks again for listening. The Athletic.